Uh, any questions about the uh, meditation practice? I know there's a lot of people here who are long, long time meditators. Some of you may be newer. So just for those who were uh, particularly new, I just want to say that that bit of instructions about working with the breath is really considered the beginning instructions. There's uh, a lot more that can be said about Vipassana practice. Just, just that piece with the breath can really take you a long, long way in the practice. And for some, that's the whole could be the whole practice. And you don't really need to add in other pieces, but there are there is a lot more that can be added in about working with um, other experiences that can arise that might be make it difficult to stay with the breath. Say how to work with all of those. Okay. Okay. So let me ask another question. Um, Probably many of you know that there's this this particular set of Thursday evenings is five Thursday evenings that have been focusing on the hindrances. Some of you may not have been aware of that and just came to a Thursday night, and so, which is fine. But um, we're on the third of the five weeks, and I wanted to ask if there was anyone here who's willing to say who just hadn't been here for any of the other two weeks. So several people. Okay. So, uh, just did you know it was on the hindrances? <laughs> did you just show up? <laughs> I mean, it's fine. Okay. So let me just say something uh, briefly. Tonight we're focusing on one of the hindrances, uh, aversion. Um, and... Um, What we did the first night was we just went over this list of five hindrances. And let me say something about this list. Uh, it's a repeat. So lists are a big, big in Buddhism. And um, this particular list of these five qualities or these five types of experience is a real important list. It's a big deal and it gets talked about a lot. And the reason is, is that this particular group of experiences are ones where that the tendency is very strong for us to get caught. Right? And that's why it get a lot of attention gets paid to this list called the hindrances. So last we kind of we did a sort of an overview of the first first night, two weeks ago. And we actually had a little homework, which I don't know how many people did, to work with the hindrance, work with, work with um, the first one, which is the, uh, that grasping and clinging. And we get into the desire and wanting. And we worked with that, and we talked about it last time. And we had a little homework during this week to do the same thing and notice aversion. And so we'll talk about that so those are the first two. There's the there's the you know trying to hold on to things, pull things towards us when we get caught. 
and we contract in that way is really what happens. It's a contraction around things. And so that's, that's this holding, which is that first hindrance. And then the second is we do the opposite. We're pushing away. It's still a contraction. It's, it's a way where we cannot be present with this. Right? And so we push away. It's an opposite. You know, one's sort of a movement this way. The energy's this way. The other is like, get this away from me. And then the, the other three that we'll get into later are, um, restlessness. And um, then sloth and torpor, right? where the mind just has no clarity and it's just thick and dull, and we all know that one. And then the fifth, uh, doubt. doubt. So we'll talk about those later. Okay. So that's what's happening. So there's a lot of things we can say about aversion. I've got a few things here that I want to make sure we touch on, but first I just wanted to... First of all, see, did anybody work with it during the week? Anybody? Oftentimes, when I've done these things and people give them the homework, I say, okay, I'm going to do the homework, and I just completely forget. and just drops out of my mind. I'm just in my life. And so and that may have happened. <laughs> but I'm just curious if anybody did remember and how that was. And if not, it's fine. Yeah. Kind of a rough week, just uh, from a meditation perspective, and um, just had a real difficult time sitting for sub- uh, multiple sequential sessions. Mm-hmm. So sitting still. Mm-hmm. And, um, so you had restlessness? Yeah. Sitting still because you had a lot of restlessness, which we're actually going to talk more about next time. But, right, right. but it actually gets into aversion because the restlessness is unpleasant, right? And so that's the aversion. So you had a multiple attack, is what they call it. That's what they say. It's a, you got like two, two hitting you at once. At least two, like right. Um, so it was just a lot of work to so make myself stick to my mind. And um, were you able to, do you mind talking about it a little bit? I'm kind of, I don't, you know, maybe, I don't know if you're comfortable getting into it. Too. Yeah. Just, you know, my, my guess is that my feelings are pretty primitive. Um, yeah. Well, so when it comes up, I mean, how were you able to, did you have some, were you just kind of more caught in it? Were you able to have some mindfulness about the aversion arising? So you kind of just revved up the energy and well, it's no, it's just what works, right? Yeah. I mean, I guess ultimately, you know, I would talk, I would think about it during the day, and um, you know, it's pretty easy to make to do the trade off and say, no, look, even though it's hard, even though um, Okay. And you're particularly pointing to aversion or difficulty that's arising in 
your meditation, formal meditation practice. And, and here we're, we're actually talking about that as one piece and then also just in life. And the hindrances, you know, are at play at, at both. Uh, and a lot of what we talk about really applies to both, although there are ways we talk about in the meditation that might be a little different than, you know, how to work with it might be a little different. Okay. So maybe we'll talk a little more and see what comes up in the conversation. Anybody? Yeah. Um, I've been sort of exploring a little bit in re- with regards to relationship. And, you know, what does one do in a relationship when someone else has aversions that you don't particularly enjoy? So you're saying the other person has aversions to things that are coming up. And then it's creating difficulty in your own experience. So you'll get your aversion going, right? Yeah. There's a question in there. Well, you know, if I can ever figure relationships out. um, (laughs) But really, that's the place, actually, where I found for myself that, um, you know, just so easy to get hooked because especially if you're really intimate and you're really, it's the places that really get go deeper and more really cut close to home, right? So if people, uh, it's just tough, tougher. Yeah. Well, maybe we might be able to talk about that too a little bit. I, I don't know the answer. You know, I'm, <laughs> I could tell you a few stories from this week myself. <laughs> so, Well, let me just say a few things, and hopefully, I'm hoping we'll have more discussion. I'm, I'm prepared to just talk mostly if we have to, but I'm also hoping really we'll have we'll generate more discussion. Is what my preference. Um, so, for all of these hindrances, as we said, the the, the reason we label them a specific set of experiences is because those are the ones that tend to get us caught, right? So mindfulness is always the key. If we can have enough awakeness and mindfulness to be aware of what's going on, uh, we have the potential force to, for some freedom there. If we're not mindfully aware, we're just caught, there's no potential for any freedom. We're just acting. This is what we've been saying for the last two weeks, but we're just acting at the effect of our conditioning, the habit of mind, Right? And given the particular thing that's happening, either in our own experience or outside another person or some other external source, and we've got our habitual mind is going to react in a certain way right? if we don't have any mindfulness. Right? That's pretty. So mindfulness is always the key combined with knowing that in any experience, if it's too strong, just like we were saying last night with the the, the grasping, clinging, and the desire, if it's too strong, we're not going to be able to work with it, right? If anything, if if it's kind of within our realm that we can deal with it, then uh, if we've got some mindfulness, then there's a lot of things we can talk about, which we will talk about on how to work with it. If it goes over to the crosses the line beyond our experience, our ability, it's too much, 
then um, uh, we're not talking anymore about how to work with it because it's too much. It's not appropriate to talk like that. What's appropriate then is to, is to at least hopefully we can realize we're, we're in a situation that's too much and find ways to try to alleviate it or back away from it or create some space or something, get away. Sometimes we do need to get away. So one of the things I was thinking about in particular is fear, which is a form of aversion, right? Fear falls in the hindrance of aversion. And it's been up, you know, there's been all the jokes about the duct tape and the plastic, which have kind of been beaten to death. But um, I was thinking about that this week, of how much fear... You know, some of us, I bet if we went around, and we won't actually take a poll, but if we went around and did it, I'll bet some people here, eh, it's not that big of a deal, maybe a little bit, you know... And for some people, might really be having quite strong anxiety these days. And we'd be a mix here. Probably all of us a little bit, at least. There's an aversion there, and that fear kicks in. There's something about that quality of fear. Sometimes fear is really telling us something, right? Don't drive 100 miles an hour on this sharp curve the car won't make it, you're going to crash. And the fear has this, or maybe it's not necessarily fear, it might just be wise discrimination, but, you know, fear fear can tell us, like, slow down, it's too fast. Right? So that's when we want to know, we want to, we always want to listen to the fear, but that's when it's telling us, and we're going to act on it, we're going to take it seriously. Then there are fears we have, and I don't know about the plastic and duct tape, I'm not going to put it in one category or the other. That it was, I w- I'm not using that as an example, but there, we all have times when there's fear that what's probably more needed is not to be in reaction against it and just have it impel us in a certain direction, but actually to find out how to work with it, get free, and just to see that fear's arising, but it might be just, there might not actually be a real threat out there, right? Everybody can relate to that. I can't think of a good example. Some people are furrowing their brows. I don't know. I've certainly experienced fear when, um, I don't know, what's an example? I, don't, I can't think of a good one. Maybe this isn't a good one, but maybe if you're lying in bed as a kid and you're afraid of the dark, well, it's real fear. It's a real experience. But actually, there's not a danger there, Right? You're safe, your parents are there, everything's fine, you're just scared. So, and it is suffering when we experience it, and it's painful. So maybe there's examples, people, I don't know, maybe there's lots of better examples than that as adults that we get when when fear comes and it's, uh, not only is it unpleasant, but it's actually um, hindering our ability to function well. Fear of losing your job. Yeah. And that could, you might have, it might be well-founded, like you see that the rumors are going that, you know, they're going to cut this project and half the people are going to go, and then maybe it's a real fear. Or it might just be that everything's going fine and you haven't heard anything, but just you know that companies tend to have layoffs. And, but still, there's, yeah. Or here's another one that just popped in my head. Plenty of people, probably plenty of us, might have, have been hurt before in relationships, Right? That happens. And we have fear of intimacy. I, I want to be careful and not, you know, 
piss anybody off here or anything, but right, it can happen. You can have a fear of getting involved and you tend to hold yourself back. And maybe, in fact, the person's not going to break your heart and is going to, and whatever, but, but it's just that fear that's blocking us, right? The only reason we need to deal with any of these hindrances is um, if it's causing us a problem. So last week, when we're talking about the desire and the wanting, um, so I happen to have a particular, like I really love dark chocolate. That's kind of my thing. I really kind of crave dark chocolate. Not milk chocolate, but dark chocolate. Not that cheap Trader Joe's where you get that big pound. That stuff's kind of bitter. It's not so good. But like good dark chocolate. So I, I sort of craving. But that's an example that... I don't really suffer that much around it. I mean, I guess in the moment if there's some craving and I look, you, it, there is a level of suffering there or, you know, right? It's kind of unpleasant if I don't have it and I'm craving. It's not that big of a deal, so I don't have to really deal with it if I don't want to. But there's other levels that, of, of greed and desire and wanting that really hang me up in my life and that's where, or might stop going deeper in the meditation practice if we want to think of it in the meditation and that's when we might want to look. Same thing on the aversion. There might be things that, we don't care about it, maybe we don't have to deal about them. You know, like if you don't like snakes, well, you know, if a snake's there, well, then you're going to have to, that's one thing. But otherwise, mostly you just don't get around snakes and you don't go to the reptile pavilion at the zoo. <laughs> and you can kind of, it's not really that big of a deal. We don't have to go deal with it, right? But there's other aversions that do hang us up. All right? So that's the why finding when. So with fear is just an example of where we can start to, to work. Um, fear can happen in meditation practice. Sometimes experiences can happen. I've had this happen where you kind of things start to, you kind of go into a, hit an edge that maybe you haven't hit before. And it's, you don't know and it can be, it can feel scary, right? And you kind of contract up around. It can happen in just daily life and everything. Any, so I've got some other stuff here, but any thoughts about that? Or? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think a lot of what's going on in the world right now is fear of the unknown. Mm-hmm. Fear of the unknown, right? And we don't really know. I mean, as you said, with the snakes, you can avoid it. It's probably not going to pop up in your living room or something. But fear of the unknown, we really, it's very hard to have a sense of how to control it. Yeah, right. So loss of control. And we want to have loss of control. We want to have control because we want safety, security. We want some certainty. Right. And that actually gets to a whole other big area about, um, you know, is is there any really any control? <laughs> you know, really, even in the best of circumstances. Right. I mean, I know for me, I'm, uh, you know, I've gotten a little older and, and, um, you know, some days I wake up and, like, some part of my body is just, like, screwed up and is hurting for no apparent reason. <laughs> it was fine. I went to bed. I just went up. I wake up. also like my arms just, like, screwed up, like, for two days. <laughs> it's like, what happened? It's just totally out of control. It just happened. <laughs> I got old. <laughs> so, Well, let me bring in one more piece that I think can contribute to this, and then maybe we can also open up for some conversations. So I want to do just a little experiment. Some of you have seen this, but for those who haven't, so let me hold this up. And if anybody, I'm curious what you see. 
Anybody want to say? What do you see? A bowl. I heard bowl, container. You holding a bowl. Anybody else? Hand. Texture on the bowl. Color. Right, color. Right. Yeah. So when I hold this up, the first thing I would see is what most people did. Uh, it's bell, it's bowl, me holding it, hand, all of that. But actually, and this is a real important topic, and we're just going to touch on it tonight. There's no bowl here. You don't see a bowl. You don't see a hand. You don't see me holding a hand. You don't. Absolutely not. You see color and shape. That's all you see is a bunch of color and shape coming in. That in the mind, you see this color and shape and you say bowl. But all you're seeing actually is certain shape and color. Texture you were talking about. There's no hand, but when you see this shadows, this shape and color, you know hand. Hand is completely in the mind. There's no bowl. Now, I'm not trying to, I want to be real, this is important. I'm not trying to make any statement about whether, in fact, there's any actual sort of ontological reality here. In other words, I'm not trying to make a statement of whether, in fact, anything exists out there. That's not my point. I don't, we don't, I don't know. There are, there are schools of Buddhism. One school called the... Um, it's sometimes called, you hear it's called a Chittamatra or the Yogacharan school. And they say, nothing's out there. There's just mind creating, you know, and just sense impression and, and it just makes the whole world, there's nothing out there. So there's a school of Buddhism. They're not around anymore, but they were around. <laughs> <laughs> they were around about um, 17 or 1800 years ago, Yogacharan school. They were in reaction to another school that said everything's really real. And then in the middle is the uh, Madhyamaka school that just says all you can't say either way, right? Just don't cling, right? So, but the point is, this is an important point because everything is like this, you know, room, people. It's like color and shape comes in and then I create it. So when the Buddha, this is the loose translation of what the famous quote from the Dhammapada, and it's just a very loose translation, but uh, the Thomas Byram translation that says, with our minds we create the world. That's what the Buddha is talking about. Not saying whether we actually create the reality of something out there, but we create our experience. What It comes in, so sense impressions are coming in. There's this flow of experience and we make it into something. That's important because it really kicks in, I think, very strongly around the, the unpleasant and the aversion. Not only is there an experience that in and of itself can be unpleasant, but, and this kind of gets back to relationship as just an example, we create a lot of stories. We don't even notice that we're doing it. And then we live out of them. We've totally created the world. And then we live out of it as if it's real. So an example is, you know, I've been, uh, my girlfriend, significant other, whatever, other, whatever we call her, that I've been with for a long time, and there's just a few things that just piss me off. And she does. You know, it's just why I get hooked. I do. I just get hooked there. Right? It's not that much, but there's this one thing, and it just gets me. 
So when it happens, the story kicks in, you know, of in my mind, it's like, you know, God damn it, Kathy, don't you know that when you blah, 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 you know, and, and why would you do that? You know, I'm just in the story about her. And I'm right. <laughs> That's the thing. I'm totally right. I'm trying to make a point here. <laughs> but that's another thing that hooks us in to that aversion. Okay. It's when the stories kick in, too. Right? This is wrong and bad, and get it, and, and this is how it is, right? A perfect example, and I don't want to get into politics, but I'm just using it as an example. Because we have to be careful because guaranteed in a room this size, whatever your politics are, there will be people of all different political persuasions. So in the example I'm about to use, I want to be very careful. My point is not which side is right. So I'm just going to pick President Bush, though, since it seems to be so a lot of juice around that these days. For some of us, it might be, you know, this guy is like a warmonger and his policies are terrible and he's this right wing this and he's this and this. The exact same thing, there's a whole bunch of other people that are looking at the same thing. It's not aversion. They actually have the other hindrance of, of it's, it's this pleasant, wonderful, fantastic, the best thing. They're looking at the same thing. But the perception is different. Who's right? Now, we can get an opinion about it. I have an opinion about it. A strong opinion, actually. But that's but you know someone else could come up here and you, they can argue eloquently for you know and be just as passionate and have just as strong an opinion. Which one's right? So that's another thing that another layer that hooks on. So we have to be aware about this thing of perception. It's actually a real big topic uh, to be aware of in Dharma teaching. It's really a place where we get caught because we create our experience of the world. And we know what we like and don't like. Yeah. Um, it seems to me that, the, that everybody's um, perception is the same, but it's the thought that that is that sandwiches between the perception and then the, huh. the hindrance, the, the subsequent hindrance that comes up. Yeah. So let me see if, if we're using, I think we're saying the same thing, but just using different language. And if not, we should explore it a little, but let me just check with you. When, I'm, when you're saying perception, what I'm saying is for all of us, I mean, I, actually, we don't really know, but let's just assume that, like, if we see the color red, you know, we all have red color coming into the eye. You know, we can all hold this and feel the feeling of metal, and it's probably, let's just not get too much into philosophy. We'll just say we all feel the same. We don't actually know if that's true, but right. We feel it, assuming that everything's working, that the body's working. So we all have this flood through the sense doors. You're calling that perception, right? Yeah. I'm using the word perception then for use thought, because technically the way the perception's used is actually that, is that the, the, the word, it, it's that we're using it to mean taking all of that, taking vibration on the ear, which we turn to think as a voice, taking color and shape, taking just sensation, taste, smell, and making it into something. So if you hear a car, hear that? 
We know car. If you'd never heard a car, it would just be, you wouldn't be whatever. Right? And if we, uh, if we like it, if I think that's the wind and I'm camping out in the mountains, I happen to have a pleasant association with that. If I'm trying to meditate and that's a loud car, unpleasant association. So we create some of our, the hindrances <laughs> are created. So I think we're saying the same thing. Is that right? Yeah. 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 I don't know if they're all created. I mean, if you're sitting and maybe, you know, we always use knee pain because if you sit cross-legged long enough, right, knee hurts worse, 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 and get extremely intense. For almost all of us, it's unpleasant. And it's not necessarily a story. It just is unpleasant. There could be another layer on top of it that's stories of, Oh my God! And the bell's going to not ring for thirty more minutes. I'm never going to make it. And and you know. And then we get a whole you know. And ah, my you know my legs asleep. And uh, is it doing damage? And you know. Then we're off into a whole another layer on top of it of stories. That's another layer of aversion. So then there's several layers to it. But just the raw pain. There are people. I mean, I don't really know much about uh, masochism. But, right, there's such a thing as masochisms who people, so I might not be saying this just right, but who, the pain, but there's something that's got a pleasant association, right? People who want to get, you know, they get all these piercings and they hang themselves. You've seen these things. Some of it's kind of, yeah. So they're having a different experience. So the mind's conditioned differently for that, for that sense of sense inputs to take it. The mind's wired differently. Another place where we get tend to get stuck is we make the jump from the unpleasantness to the aversion and we don't notice it because they, they're close. Right? Many of you have heard the quote that says, help me out here on this one, but the quote is, um, pain is unavoidable, suffering is optional. Is that, did I get it? Yeah. Pain is unavoidable. Suffering is optional. So pain and suffering are not the same thing, right? Is that does anybody not agree with that? So, oftentimes people won't say, "Wait a minute, that's not true." Any thoughts about it? Well, it makes a nice bumper sticker. Yeah, <laughs> it would be. But I, most people probably wouldn't get that. But. I'm not sure that it's. I'm not sure. I mean, I think there's a quality difference. Yeah. Yeah. In in terms of physical pain, how do you get a gap? How do you install a gap? Oh, yeah, we were talking about gap, right? That's exactly goes to the heart, right in that place where you're pointing to. Right there is the place that the Buddha was pointing to. See the way there's this thing called uh, we won't go into too much, but of the way that the conditioning of the mind happens. It was mapped out in dependent origination. The Buddha laid out this map, and I'll just 
we won't, I won't go through all these 12 steps, but part of it, he says, since we've got, we're human beings, we've got these bodies, so we have sense organs. We can see and hear and taste and touch and feel. And because of that, we're going to have contact with experience. There's no way around it. You can temporarily suppress it. But at some point, we're to have contact with the world. Because we have contact, we're going to have feelings, which in this case means we're going to, there's going to be pleasant and unpleasant or neutral. Right? Because there's pleasant, unpleasant, neutral to the untrained, ordinary mind, when the pleasant comes, we're going to tend to desire it. We want more of the pleasant. And when the unpleasant comes, we're going to naturally want less of that. And it's not a judgment. That's just kind of the way to be a living being that it works. There's nobody here who wants more unpleasant. Not one person. Whatever that is for you. right? If you want whatever, like if George Bush is unpleasant... It can be the same object can be pleasant or unpleasant for different people. Like some people want more George Bush. Some people want less George Bush, right? So it's the same object. That's not the point. The point is uh, whatever your particular conditioning is, for ourselves, we want more pleasant experience. We want to feel good. We want to be happy. We want life to be okay. We want everything. That's what we want. We want less of like stress, suffering, pain, going through a hard time, Struggle, whatever, right? So everybody wants that. And then where we get hooked is, is because of the hindrance hooks in, when we, that wanting goes to a grasping on, a clinging to the, try to hold on to, tighten around, contract around the pleasant. Or for tonight's topic, the opposite is a pushing away and aversion to the unpleasant, which is the setup for suffering. Yes, Steve? Yes, one that had a, a way to develop it is um, just to sit and um, the way a lot of people do it is um, being mindful of physical sensations. Um, but that, that takes a lot of work. One of the things to see quickly is to spend a whole period or, or a whole day or a couple of days listening to sounds and try to mindfully listen to sounds and notice if the sound is pleasant or unpleasant and, and notice the stuff around it. Just keep on going back to labeling any sound, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, and eventually, practice long enough, you will see the gaps that you're adding extra, and you're either going towards it or away. Another way is also uh, eating, um, but eat slowly and, and taste all the, all the flavors and see if you see the pleasant or unpleasant, and then you see all the other stuff that comes up. Yeah. No, that's really important. And the way we practice with it is we don't start with... The, the most difficult thing. So, for example, in, in meditation practice, if you first sit down and assuming your, your body is, you know, for some of us, we're in pain all the time, and that's that's a whole other topic. Maybe we could talk about a little bit. But some of us, you know, our bodies are more or less doing okay, and we can get in a position on a chair, lying down, sitting, where we can be just more or less comfortable, if that's true for you. Then you can sit and you're doing your meditation practice. And then if you sit long enough without moving... We want to move if we need to move. You don't want to have to get this John Wayne approach where you just can never move and it's too much. But you get to a certain point and all of a sudden maybe the knee starts to ache a little bit. It's still not that hard. 
right there is a place we can start to work because it hasn't gotten that strong yet, and we can start to notice then the unpleasant, notice the experience itself, notice the unpleasant quality, just like Steve's talking about. And can we, with mindful awareness, that's the wedge that gets right in between the, the, the unpleasantness and the aversion. It's that wedge of mindfulness. If we can get it in there before we, once we're in aversion, it's a lot harder. It's not impossible, but a lot harder to get free because we're really caught then. It's harder. But if we start to notice the unpleasantness, that's one of the, why one of the additions that we bring, to, uh, additional instructions that we bring to Vipassana practice. In addition, as we expand out from just being with the breath, you know, we expand out the instructions working with the body and all kinds of different things. We'll add in instruction that from time to time, notice the pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral quality of the experience. Because sometimes we don't see that there's a little clinging or a little aversion going on. We don't notice it, and that can help us to notice it. And with time, as we work, that line that, that you know, what, where, on this side of the line, the experience we can work with, on that side of the line we can't, it's too much, the line moves. So we start easy, right? Yeah. Is it worth looking at why the you know why we have that aversion? I mean, like say with with a noisy car, you know, yeah. is it because it's affecting our ability to hear somebody else speak? And in which case, is it still a healthy, an unhealthy aversion? Well, I think that that's uh, real important. What you're pointing to, and actually, I wasn't going to bring that up, but I'm really glad you did. Um, so. It all comes back to, we say this over and over again about there's no set way to work or to not work. It's it's what's wise and skillful. It's just becoming a cliche. We say it over and over, but it's so important. So so a good example is people say have maybe never gone on a meditation retreat. And that's probably true for a number of people here. Some of you I know have done a lot of retreats. So people go off on a retreat. You sit down, and of course, the way you think is going to happen is you're going to go, your mind's going to settle down, and you're going to go deep, and you're going to get blissed out, or calm, or peaceful, or something like that's going to happen. And, and it often can happen. But what is very common for people is people are sometimes shocked to sit down in meditation. And when we, I'm coming back to your point, and when we, uh, we settle down, and we take away all the distractions that have kept us from being able to see what's going on inside ourselves. It's keeping us on the surface, right? And we're just there with ourselves in an undistracted way. People find often, not everyone, but definitely, you know, your whatever, fear, anger, loneliness, self-critical mind, judging, despair, all this, you're just stuff, your personal shadow, dark areas, or whatever way you want to say, just come roaring up. And then people get in a lot of judgment about that because um, uh, it's like, well, I'm not supposed to be like this. It's supposed to be, and then they'll struggle, like, I'm not supposed to have this. So in the times when that's not going on, you know, we can work on just being with the breath and developing concentration. In the times when that's actually what's going on in the moment, we need to then deal with how do we deal with that experience. That's just what's real in the moment. We need to deal with it. It can be useful at times to not only try to be mindful and and not judging and, and have some compassion about it, 
but to maybe do some personal work, maybe. Some people do some therapeutic work or counseling or whatever to try and get down to the root of my despair or loneliness or anger. So maybe they'll do some of that. In, so, so they'll work on both areas. Maybe that's useful to get down to the root. And then also to do the meditation practice of learning to work with whatever's coming up mindfully and with compassion. And, you know, just working with both. It can be useful in the meditation practice, I think, where people have tended to get into trouble sometimes. You hear these stories all the time of people who've gone to practice in Asia. And, you know, I don't know that much. Uh, I don't want to make, I've got to be careful about making these generalities, but some of these teachers who are deeply realized in their own <coughs> meditation practice, deeply enlightened, but just weren't used to working with the Western psyche. And these people would have all these this stuff coming up, and you know the teachers would say, "Well, you know, they're like about to whatever, kill themselves or something." The teacher said, "Well, did you note it? That's th- those were the tools they had to give them. Just be mindful." <laughs> you know, and the people are just crushed by this despair. It's not just a little bit that they can work with. I mean, it might be very, very strong, or loneliness, or just their inner shame issue, or abandonment, or they were molested, as whatever comes roaring up. And they just didn't, it's not a blame, but they just didn't know how to deal with it. And so it could be real damaging sometimes for people who tried to bump up against that, and then they would think, something's wrong with me. So what was needed was how to, to get down and deal with it more than just meet it with mindfulness. Because if it's too strong, I'm saying this over and over, if it's crossed the line and it's too strong, we're not going to be able to meet it with mindfulness. We're not. Actually, even in the meditation session, if something's really going on, sometimes it can be useful to turn the awareness away from the mindfulness of that actual experience that's difficult and try to look underneath it to see what's fueling it. So maybe there's a deeper feeling under it, right? Maybe I'm in a lot of, I don't know if this is a good example, but maybe if I have a lot of anger coming up and I just have anger, 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 and I'm just feeling, you know, maybe if I look deeper, take a little time out and look, I might see that, I don't know what's feeling, maybe my, you know, my unworthiness and I'm judging and comparing every, with everything or I'm, uh, I don't know, I'm not a therapist, so maybe people can think of a better example. What would be under anger? You know, some, whatever. Hurt, hurt. Hurt. There's hurt. That's it. <laughs> and we would see hurt. Right? Ah, there's really hurt. And we get to touch something deeper. And maybe just by connecting and, and giving it some awareness, maybe there's some sort of healing that just happens somehow, magically. I don't know. Maybe that might be what's useful. And maybe it t- takes some of the energy away from the anger then. And we're able to settle down more. And then maybe we come back to the breath and work on the concentration. Or, you know, maybe in my case, uh, if I'm reacting, say, in relationship, so what I've been doing is this particular one area that just happens to be a little sticking point. I'm really trying to, and I'm seeing some progress making happening. It's really great to really notice, not get so in reaction automatic, but have enough of a wedge of mindfulness and to be able to see, oh, 
she did that thing again. There it is. Ah, anger's arising. You can totally do this. It's absolutely possible. And, well, then, but see, it goes in stages. Then you kind of get to the point, if I found, I get to the point where I can have that much awareness, but I still, it's like you see a train wreck coming, but you can't stop it. And then sometimes getting to the point by continuing to work, continuing to work, the conditioning of the mind changes to see, oh, there's that thing again. Oh, there's the anger. And I can just say, you know, I'm feeling angry, not even with an angry voice, you know, and it's coming up. And Right? It's possible to, just that wedge of mindfulness. Right, right. Right. My own anger and fear is brought into something that I had. Right. I had no awareness of to begin with. That's right. And what a difference it would be in a situation like that if instead of me being in reaction and she being in reaction, and we just spiral down in reaction. What a difference it would be if we could both just really have our experience <laughs> without a judgment about it. And, I mean, at some point it'd be nice if the, if the triggers heal up inside us so, so we're not even getting hooked in. But, but in the moment, if it's real, and the person can just say, well, here's what's real for me. They're not a blame. It's not an attack. And to be able to just hold that as their experience. And that I don't get in reaction, and I can say, and my experience right now is this. And neither of us are in reaction, and we can say, oh, and you're having that experience, and I'm having that. Well, let's look at it. It's a whole different relationship with it. Just to greet it by mm-hmm. saying, "Oh, my old friend, right. anger. Mm-hmm. My old friend, hip pain. And right. My old friend. You know, that's really a, a wonderful place to be able to get to. Yeah. And you have to uh, be with it in such a way that you catch it at the pain is mandatory mm. before it's turned into the mm-hmm. optional suffering. Right. No, that's really beautiful. I don't know if everybody heard that about." I think that's just beautiful. And uh, it's a way that we can work actually with any time there's suffering. Instead of, you know, just the habit of the mind is initially is, is goes right to aversion. You know, it's just, inst- it's so, it's just the blink of an eye and we're in the aversion. And just one second. And what if we could, And what if we could see that as any time there's a suffering, none of us want to suffer, right? But instead of <laughs> contracting around it, no, not that, just like, oh, there's suffering here. That's, oh, there's my friend. That, that's actually a good friend because it's telling me there's something for me to look at there. It's actually, it's sort of like the way that Joseph Goldstein used to tell the story when... Uh, Upandita would point out to him that he has like, you know, five different kinds of defilements in the mind right now or whatever. And he, Joseph said he used to kind of cringe and, and, and I'm not saying the story exactly right, but he would kind of contract and didn't want to hear it. 
And then at some point it shifted over and he got to a point when somebody would point something out, he would get this inner smile because he would rather see it if it's there than not see it. And so the suffering is like that. It's pointing to something that we could look at if we can, for the times we're able to do it. Right. And to see and then maybe start to learn to work around it a little bit rather than just be in the aversion. And it's for the times when when we're going to get caught, we always have to remember to bring in the compassion for ourselves. That's always. It cannot be emphasized enough. We need a lot of compassion. We're all fellow sufferers. All of us are in our own ways. You know? And there's places where, you know, you get hooked that aren't my thing, and so I'm kind of free there, and that's your place. And there's places where I get hooked, and it's no, you don't have any hook there for you. We all have our own areas, and we need a lot of compassion for that. Because the times when we get hooked, no judgment about it, but we just have to know we're going to suffer in those times. Right? Yeah. So what hooks us? And I'm using, using the example of a relationship. And it sounds like it hooks you, just like I can come up with my own examples. I get hooked on them religiously all the time. It seems to me like I'm trying to connect opinion like opinion of how something should be or how someone should be or how someone bugs me and it hooks me in a particular case. Right. And I guess I over over the last couple of years I've let go of opinions and preferences and we talked about preferences right. like last week. And, yeah. And I mean now I find myself I get really annoyed with people who, who have opinions right. and have preferences because <laughs> if so they just, would only have the freaking idea that if they would let go of that they could have some freedom. Yeah. You know. But now I'm just being right this Right. It's, it's just a different hook. Thing, right. So it goes on and on, not just you for all of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So no, but I hear you. You're speaking for all of us, right? Yeah. But, but I mean I mean the, I'm getting a lot out of this. Today is a little iffy, but <laughs> Only because, in terms of ill will, in, yeah. in the connection towards uh, how we create our own ill will. Mm-hmm. Like yesterday, I was all about ill will. Right. The whole day just was a big pile of ill will. Ill will. <laughs> <laughs> like, and, and to pinpoint where it came from, um, I don't. I woke up, and it just began. <laughs> and I went to bed, and I woke up again this morning, and it was gone. Right. And I didn't really do anything yeah. with it. And I was completely, totally forgot about being mindful yesterday. It didn't even occur to me. Um, and I only meditate every Thursday nights here, so right. that's not really my... Yeah. Um, so I, I guess I, I get, I, I'm confused. I, I don't know what I am. I'm well, just, but no, if, do you mind saying more? Because it, it's, it's okay if tonight oh, yeah, doesn't, what we're doing doesn't connect, but... I, yeah, what, just you're getting down to something. Yeah, so... It's either a question or a comment or something's not connecting. Mm-hmm. Well, do you want me to share or... or well, I, yeah, I mean, as much... I certainly want you to be able to share just in the interest of time. I don't know if the details of the story, but kind of getting to... Is there something that's not 
like a question? Are you saying what hooks us? Or well, just share what whatever hooks you. Hooks us is the question. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I kind of. I mean, you could explain it and give me people to give. And it could be textbook answers, right, right, right. all sorts of that. But it doesn't really connect for me. Right. It really, to me, it all starts with an opinion I I have about something or someone right. or how something should go. Yeah. And I create ill will from that. Yeah. Well, let me just say something, and it may or may not, and maybe we might have to have a little more dialogue around yeah. it. But what comes up for me is is that. There are definitely times I can look and see what it is that hooks me in that particular situation. You know, like somebody said something and then I know being criticized is not a feeling, it's an interpretation, but I'm just going to say, you know, uh, I feel criticized and, and so then I tend to get hooked because I'm defended because, you know, you can see how that gets in because my mother, whatever, you know, it's whatever, right? <laughs> so we can all look, but... I would, the only reason I brought up this about perception, I didn't want to get off on that too much, is just one piece that sometimes we can notice how we create a reality. And the only reason to even think about that part is because we can sometimes notice that we've just created a story and it created a lot of problem difficulty. So for those times, that can be useful. For all the rest of the times, forget this perception stuff. That, that, that one. I don't know if that was a piece that may have. But I do know this. For whatever reason, we tend to get hooked. I don't know what it is, but I do know this. When we're hooked, the, the conditions, the seeds of suffering have been sown. Right? So if I'm walking around, like, for example, um, I've had lots of times, you know, things happen. I get, and I've got a lot of opinions and everything. Well, if it's really strong, it's actually, you know, I'm having a hard time. I'm, I'm suffering, if it's, you know, is a word, and it's, it's not pleasant. So there's a direct thing. I'm hooked, whatever it is, and I see the result. I'm having a hard time. I'm, not, I'm suffering. I'm, in, I'm tense. I'm whatever. So I don't know about the whys, and maybe that might be something other people have opinions. It might be useful to get down into that for each of us. But it's more a question of noticing when we're hooked. See, see if you go back to the simple Four Noble Truths, the Buddha just says... There is this dukkha, this unsatisfactoriness, this suffering, which is this grasping and clinging, or the, op- or the opposite is aversion. We're not able to be in a free way in relationship to life, to ourselves. You know, we're judging ourselves so much, right? We don't just, we're not kind of in harmony with life. We've created a disconnect. He says the reason for that is, as we get into our craving, which is, we, you know, it's like I'm trying to hold on to this or I'm trying to get rid of that. And then he goes on to say, you know, there's an end to that, which is nirvana or nibbana, and which just means uh, to, be, uh, to be extinguished. That's a whole talk about what's extinguished. And then he lays out this eightfold path. So all I know is, is that when we're suffering, if we want to try and free ourselves, we're here in this human condition. And in the areas in life where it's working, maybe we don't need to worry about that part. You know? We don't need to make a big deal about it. We can all look to the areas where we suffer and to try and get down. What's the root cause of the suffering? And I would propose that every time there's suffering, not pain, but every time there's suffering, it's because we're in the aversion. We've been hooked. There's a difficulty and unpleasantness of pain that I'm not able to be present with. I've sat in meditation with a painful knee. 
And I was in a pretty good space in the meditation. And I was able to be, it was unpleasant actually to be quite strong. But you know what? The heart and the mind were free. Because the freedom wasn't dependent on having the experience look a particular way. It wasn't like if it's pleasant and nice, then I'm happy. And when it's unpleasant, I'm unhappy. The freedom was independent. It was, it was really uh, because the relationship with that experience was one where I wasn't hooked. And so the freedom was to be found even in, within that difficult experience. So I really don't know so much about the whys, but just when we're hooked, and maybe it's useful to look at the whys sometimes because that may help loosen some of the, like you said about views and opinions, you notice that, and it sounds like it's enabled you to let go of certain views and opinions, and maybe you suffer less in those areas, I'm guessing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you're not totally free like a Buddha, but you know, you've been able to get freer. So it's more just, here we are, what are we going to do? How are we going to think, speak, and act? Is it, are we going to think, speak, and act in a way that's leading to more liberation and freedom right? and harmony and connectedness with ourselves and with life? Or are we going to think, speak, and act in a way that's leading to more suffering? And so then there's these hindrances which tend to hook us. And we don't have the freedom and choice there anymore. It's just pulling us. It seems also there's this is a whole other layer of of um, fear that occurs maybe you know, in the modern world these days. You know the concept of the culture of fear that there are these these things that are kind of imposed on, on, on at a social level, a societal level. So maybe in Buddha's time, you know, it might have been a little easier. <laughs> well, they had their own problems back there. Let me tell you, <laughs> a lot of uh, yeah, but a lot of the kind of political dynamics of today involve you know creating an enemy and creating something to get society whipped up about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it was, you know, back then, they were all attacking each other and conquering. There's all these stories of the Buddha, like this king's going to attack that king and slaughter those people. You know, they had their own stuff there. But no, it's true. I mean, there's there's so many layers and ways in which there's fear or difficulty or stress that we can look at in each of our own lives. Physical, emotional, mental. Um, and then we create another level because of that word should. Well, I shouldn't get be getting caught like this. I should handle the situation better. And then we've created a whole other level of suffering. I was particularly using that as an example of something that I don't really suffer around it very much. It's, so there are times when, I'm not sure your question, but the disadvantages of it. Well, I mean, it's, so in the case of dark chocolate, it's not a very big deal. I was using the example of I do have a craving, and I have other things I could think of that are on the same level where I have an aversion, but it's kind of mild. It's not that big of a... It's right, right. It's, Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, then there's no grasping or clinging or attachment there. There's no hook. It's not a problem. We all prefer, listen, I prefer when I go out there that my car starts and drives home well, as opposed to that it blows up, right? It's a preference. If I go out and I have a flat tire, and I go nuts over it, and it's not a should... 
But if I go out and I have a flat tire and I'm really like I'm late and I'm sleepy and I'm going to get grease on my pants or whatever and everything and all of this, we just have to acknowledge that then I'm in a suffering then in that time. That's all. And if I go out and I have a flat tire and it's like, oh, man, i got a flat tire and it's kind of a pain, but I'm able to kind of, you know, I don't suffer then, right? One of the ways that I've worked with the hindrances that has helped me a lot is to really realize for the first time in my life that bad things are impermanent as well as good things. And so if you just, by just uh, uh, being mindful, right? At that moment, you can actually, the next moment can be a good moment. Right. Or the next day. Yeah. You know, you're, what you were describing, it was there. And without you doing anything, it just sort of came. It was like clouds blew through and then went. Yeah. You know, a really basic teaching is, um, and why this is important to do, is when you have aversion, let's say you get angry, you can cause a lot of damage. I mean, you can say things to people that, you know, once you say stuff to people, right. I mean, you can't take it back. It's gone. Mm-hmm. And so as you become mindful, you're not going to create less suffering, outside suffering in your life. And that's why it's so important. Or if you're really greedy, with your greed, you can really hurt people and hurt yeah. yourself, too. Right. Yeah. Isn't there a difference between suffering and annoyance? I mean, like the flat tire is not really... Yeah. I mean, it's just well, so we use the word suffering real generically, and of course it tends to be strong. But so, and, and I don't know if you, you'll tend to hear it used as sort of that's the catch-all phrase. But uh, yeah, uh, so I would categorize, and when we talk about suffering, a real mild version of it is an annoyance. It's not that big of a deal, probably. You know, it's an annoyance. It's like, oh, you know, this person that I have to work next to, and they kind of annoy me, and I kind of get a little, but you know, but maybe it's not that big of a deal. And so it's a, it's, a, it's a spectrum. It's a continuum. If it's very little, we don't suffer that much around. It's not that big of a deal, but it's still a little bit. If we really were to look closer, we can still, there is still some degree of stress or discomfort or suffering there, but it's, not, it's minor. As it gets stronger and stronger, and see, we're able to work with it. So even though there's an aversion, there, when there's an annoyance, there's an aversion. It's not just an un, it's, something's unpleasant like my coworker say, there's the unpleasant, you know, this guy's driving me crazy or whatever, and I can have an aversion, and I might still be able, it might still be well within the realm of what I can work with, and so, yeah, I can work with it. I'm not so hooked. So we work on those levels, and maybe we don't need to deal with it, sort of like the chocolate or the, you know, this flat tire or something. Yeah, it's just a spectrum. So all of us then will choose where we want to work and need to work, or when we're just going to not want to, or, you know, just for each of us, right? Hang on just one second. Yeah. Um, so I'm having a little trouble with the, uh, if it's not a problem for me, I would say. Um, I mean, I can't really come up with a good example, but let's say that uh, your um, enjoyment dark chocolate, um, you know, like, you pursue that at such a level that you put your family at a disadvantage. Right. It's no problem for you, right? 
Right, or gambling addiction would be an example. Right, but see, well, so here's the, but in that case, that's a great example because there is suffering that's being caused. Now, if, if I'm a person, well, let me just say this. If it, I don't, I, I'm questioning whether in that example, I think gambling addiction could be a great example. If really you could be an extreme case that you, know, you hear about once in a while where someone loses all, you know, they end up divorced, the kids are scarred, it's pain, and it's, and, well, you know, I guess if, to me, one of the things that where I'm trying to work is uh, about not making such a separation between the welfare of myself and the welfare of others, right? So if I'm, uh, so I've, my, my aspiration is to be in a place where I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not saying I'm totally there, but to be in a place where I fully value my own welfare as much as anybody else's, and I value anybody else's welfare as much as mine. And we, it's like us together about that level of a compassion. But what I mean is, I mean, you're taking an example. Like, so that's like saying, what if I'm a, you know, what if I'm a Saddam Hussein? It's no problem for me. Yeah, you know, I'll killing these people and oppressing them, but I like it. <laughs> you know, so, you know, I don't know what to say to someone like that, but I would say, well, you're causing suffering, you know. <laughs> you know so you need to look at, are we causing suffering for ourselves? We always add in, and others. Are we leading to more happiness and freedom for ourselves and others? I'll be controversial here. Um, in the words of Kema, who was a great Buddhist teacher who died five years ago, if you're going to take the Buddhist teachings, you should take the whole thing, not this and that, but coupled with the hindrance and a lot of other things is the whole thing of karma, we don't want to get into into uh, rebirth and all that other stuff, but your, your actions do have consequences, and the Dalai Lama said it comes between believing in some of the deep, deeper teachings of Buddhism and karma, people should believe in karma because it because it tells them that their their uh, actions do have results and consequences. And so, you know, down the road, if you're a compulsive gambler, uh, you don't realize you're suffering, but eventually it's going to catch up with you. Mm-hmm. And I read Dear Abby every day, and I can tell you there are people who the <laughs> do have problems with alcohol and, and, and gambling, and they regret yeah. it. Okay, so we... Um, so... Unfortunately, the, the interesting discussion is starting to kick in now, and it's time to end. Um, so I really feel like it's just getting interesting in the discussion. Um, so maybe one of the things, let me just say this, um, is maybe one of the things is to whatever's going on, maybe nothing's going on, or if things have been stirred up a little, let it cook during the week. And we can, we're going to move on to some other hindrances, but we can actually continue on, and I'm actually hoping you know, the more discussion we have, I, I come prepared each night in, in case there's no discussion, but that really, if we really get some discussion going here, that would really be great. So, And you may not have liked some of these things or, you know, okay. So what I would ask is, it's, it's 9.03, and again, I'm going to take one or two minutes to end with a little, and if you need to get up and walk out, please just go, because we are over time and it's no big deal. And if you can wait two minutes, we'll just end with a little... 
uh, loving kindness practice. Okay. And uh, for those of you who are going to engage in this practice, um, what I invite you to do is, if you have not been connected into your experience this last hour, I invite you to reconnect back in. If you've been more out in the discussion, to reconnect into your experience, into the body, thoughts, feelings, maybe some things have stirred up a little, whatever, or not. Whatever that is, you know, you may think this is a bunch of bullshit, or maybe you like it, or just see what's there. in the body, in the heart, in the mind, and to notice what is the relationship you're having in this moment with the experience. Can you just rest, you know, without having to do anything, and just allow the experience to be, just to unfold and present itself? And if there's aversion, even to allow that, can I... um, Allow myself to be just what I am in this moment. And if you cannot do that, to send some loving kindness for that part of you that can't accept yourself. Very important. So we keep stepping back and whatever it is we can't be with for ourselves, we send some acceptance for that. If we can't accept that, we send some acceptance for that. And we, we just go back and back until we can find the biggest container to just that radical self-acceptance. And then one of the things we did not talk about is some of the antidotes. We talked about kind of you working with mindfulness and everything, but there's an antidote to aversion, and that's loving kindness. So if there is a difficulty, you can experiment with, well, actually practice sending a little loving kindness, wishing it well to your knee pain or to your coworker. Don't pick the most difficult thing to the difficulty to be able to sit in meditation. Or whatever, your judging mind. And then wishing yourself, that's metta practice, metta loving kindness, sending that metta to ourselves. And perhaps using the simple phrases that sometimes we we give, such as, uh, just may I be happy. Just that simple prayer or wish for yourself. May I be happy. May I be free from inner and outer harm. And may I be free from suffering. And then finally, this little prayer, uh, words of the Buddha about loving kindness. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none, through anger or ill will, wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. So good night. I hope you have a good week, as aversion-free as possible.